Hey guys, this is Hunter Levine, and thank you for listening to the Captain's Collective Podcast. In today's episode, we sit down with Greg Deeney of Flywater Expeditions and talk about how he got into guiding, challenges that he's experienced with being on the road and guiding out of multiple locations, tips on Louisiana redfish, and how his time as a college baseball player helped influence how he coaches clients today. Also, if you're enjoying this podcast, please make sure that you subscribe and rate the podcast on iTunes or wherever it is that you're listening. And most importantly, please continue to share the podcast. For more content and opportunities to submit questions for upcoming guests, sign up for our newsletter at captainscollective.com. I hope that you enjoy. This is the Captain's Collective. Success is a gift. Excellence is the only thing to strive for. Uh, he, tried to eat it. he tried to eat it. Hit him, hit him, hit him, hit him. You got him. He's on. Uh, two butt caps off the rods. Filled him with tequila. We took a shot and out we went. There, there ain't no getting into it after that. It's you're, you're hooked. It's a bad habit. And all the time flips, the, he's standing there ready to go for a tarpon. Anytime I said, you talk so much, you're like a senator. I'm fired up. All right, cool. Well, hey, Greg, thanks for joining us on the podcast. Before we dive in too much, could you tell us about the new boat you just got? Man, I am uh, fired up to uh, be on Team Maverick. I uh, just got a uh, 17 HPXV. Um, Good buddy of mine, Jared Raskob from uh, Silver Kings TV, kept uh, hounding me to look into him and um, fished him for a couple days when I was down in the Keys and uh, got in touch with Charlie over at Maverick and had a had a brand new boat about a month later. So I'm fired up about it, man. She's she's great. And you got some kind of cool like artistic touches on it too. Could you talk us through some of that? You had some fun with it. Yeah. So I've always been a big fan of uh, the contrasting colors. Um, I like the darker hulls with the you know the light pastel uh, non skids. Um, did some cool stuff with uh, some sponsors that I work with, uh, V Marine. Uh, he's got these new engine plates that he's doing, uh, anodized engine plates. Uh, so I got a, a fuchsia colored engine strap that goes on the front of the uh, engine bracket and then um did some uh, fuchsia colored uh, uh push pole holders for the back and um yeah man i mean i'm fired up about it need to keep breaking her in yeah <laughs> i'm fired up about just getting a look at it every now and then yeah. just gonna walk down there actually after this and just look at there it, you it go. for a little it, bit dude, it's fast would you she scoots she scoots <laughs> the first thing you gotta do is just look at it that's yeah. what first josh thing. always says the yeah. very yeah. first thing so yeah. could you give us the background about how you got into guiding just kind of your story so i got into guiding um kind of kind of ass backwards to be honest with you uh played baseball growing up um uh, got a scholarship to go to University of Miami out of uh, high school. And then after my sophomore year there, I transferred to Tulane. Uh, Tulane brought me to Louisiana, started fishing in Louisiana, and um, went off and, and played pro ball for a few years. When I was done playing pro ball, uh, I, had a, I had a coaching job lined up to come back and coach at Tulane. And um, when I transferred, though, I lost some credits coming from Miami to Tulane, so I couldn't get my coaching job, my paid coaching job at Tulane until I was done uh, finishing up my degree. So when I was finishing up my degree, I figured, man, I you know, need to make some extra money. I'm going to go ahead and uh, get my captain's license and set all my classes up at night and guide part-time during the day and uh, was able to uh, get the captain's license, work through the fly shop uh, out of New Orleans. For about six months and then uh, after six months decided to go out on my own and uh, start flywater expeditions i've been doing it ever since and that was one of the questions i had about how you kind of managed to have some time during college so you would just take night classes yep. how old were you around oh man so i'm trying to think um i was probably 20 well, I've been, it was 10 years i'm 36 now i've been in it for i was 10 years in january so it was 25 26 at the time. okay so yep. you're you're 26 you're taking some night classes yep. and you'd wake up in the morning and do like a, a half day or yeah i mean to be honest with you i could get full days in um you know on the water at you know seven o'clock and fish till three or four and you know come back eat some dinner and take you know six seven o'clock you know classes at night and did that for two semesters and um, got the degree and 
And they just and kept fishing. Kept fishing, man. <laughs> kept didn't fishing, didn't yeah. coach. Didn't coach, yeah. I yeah. mean, once I started, uh, you know, doing the guiding thing, immediately people were like, ah, oh, you know, we want to book out, you know, a year in advance. And once they started doing that, it was like, I mean, man, maybe I got something did going you, here. Did you, you know? tell them you were going to come and coach? I, you know, I, I, I told them that, that, that that's why I came back. Yeah. Um, but they're like, man, I mean, if you want to do this again in 12 months, like, we're, we're here. We'll get on the books. And I was like, let's do it. Yeah, you I'm know? just imagining you like, yeah, man, I'll coach for you guys. Hey, actually, you know what? Screw it. Well, I'm I mean, that's gonna... the conversation that I had to have with the yeah. coach that uh, that coached me at Tulane. And I was like, man, I think I'm going to kind of take this route. And um, he was he was happy for me. He knew it was going to be one of two things. It was either going to be coaching college baseball or doing something with fishing. And uh, I chose the, the guiding route. So. Well, what are some of the like things that you learned through playing sports and playing baseball growing up that transferred over into your guiding? Um, I mean, I was a, I was a catcher. Um, that's, that's the position that I played. And, uh, with, with, a being a catcher, you know, you kind of had everything in front of you, you know, same thing, you know, as, as being on the back of the boat, everything's in front of you. So you got to know everything that's going on all the time. Um, being a catcher, you had to know your pitching staff. My pitching staff could be composed of guys that you had to be hard on to get them to, you know, pitch better. Or there were some guys that you had to kind of baby and, and you know, uh, be softer with to get them to pitch better. And a lot of times that's you got to know the guy that's on the front of your boat. You got to mm-hmm. know his intensity level. And um, if he's the type of guy that, you know, may want you to, you know, ride him a little bit harder. Or if he's a guy that, you know, if you ride him too hard, he gets flustered and starts fishing worse. Um, that's something you got to be aware of, mm-hmm. um, you know, when you're on the back of the boat, pushing your guys around. And I think the two, uh, very closely correlate with each other, um, from that standpoint. And that, that's one thing that's really helped me, uh, transfer over from, from athletics to, uh, to guiding and, um, you know, yeah. No, that's a good, that's a good visual kind of, and also, like, how, how do you try to figure out when you get a new client how you're best going to kind of coach them up and approach that? Um, you know, what I try and do with a new client, uh, I usually get them on the front of the boat first spot and, you know, I'll have them strip some line out, uh, say, you know, hey, give me 50 foot of line and clear your line and, and make a shot just to kind of see what type of abilities they have before I even start the day. Um, you, you learn a lot from the first couple false casts that somebody makes and you know, if they've done it before, uh, you know, you know, if what their expertise expertise level is. And what I do a lot is I have uh, my mother-in-law who does all my booking stuff. Uh, she usually does a little rundown and, and questionnaire with the clients saying, you know, what have you done before? Where have you fished before? Mm-hmm. Have you, have you saltwater fly fish before? So we put all that in the notes. So I kind of have an idea of what's going on before I uh, start fishing with a new guy or, or gal. And, um, you know, if, if it's someone new, you, you know, you want to make sure no matter what, that they have an enjoyable day on the water. You don't want to be overly too hard on them uh, because you want to just make sure they have a good experience, um, whether they catch fish or not. So everything's got to be positive And, uh, you know, you want that person to grow with you uh, as a client. You want them to keep coming back. Some of the best anglers I have today are guys that started fishing with me 10 years ago that may not have been that good. Mm-hmm. But over the years, we've worked together and uh, you know, uh, we've both grown together. I've grown better as a guy. They've grown better as an angler. And, you know, those are the guys that, you know, you truly enjoy fishing with, uh, on a daily basis. And does any of that change? So you do redfish mm-hmm. in Louisiana and you do tarpon in Florida. Do yep. you do anything else? Do you do like bonefish or anything like that? I do a little bit of bonefishing when I'm down in the Keys. Uh, not that much though. I mean, the, the, the main focus when I'm down in South Florida is, is the tarpon. Uh, most of my guys come down there just to do that. We do do a little bit of permit fishing. I've gotten into the backcountry fishing a little bit um, back there with the snook and the redfish. Um, but the majority of the stuff down there is, is tarpon. Um, I do like to uh, jackfish when I'm in Louisiana. We get a really big push of jacks late summer, mm-hmm. early fall before it gets cold. Uh, do enjoy doing that. Um, I'll actually, on nice days, uh, I'll take my skiff uh, out into like 500 foot of water and we'll go catch red snapper hmm. in the Louisiana Delta. <laughs> I can't tell you how many times I've done that. You know, come home with a cooler full of red snapper. So, um, you know, just like mixing it up. Yeah. Anything new, uh, I like to go for it. 
So do, do you handle the clients differently with a different species? If you're targeting like a, a permit to a tarpon, to a redfish, is there anything different that you do with them? Uh, I mean, not really. No, it's just, it's just your, your technique and, and presenting the fly and maybe your cast may be a little bit different, but, uh, you know, the same, you know, focus should be taken into, uh, every species. Um, mm -hmm. what I tell a lot of people when they get on the bow of my boat, if, if they're serious about what they're doing is, make every shot like it's the last shot you're going to ever make or, mm -hmm. or ever, ever get at that fish in your life. And, and if you, if you take that focus into every shot like that, you're going to have a lot of success. Mm -hmm. Um, a lot of people lapse, uh, concentration and, um, you know, uh, they, they don't care all the time. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, if, uh, if, if you stay focused and, and take that focus into every shot, you know, you're going to, you're going to catch a lot of fish. Is there anything that you try to do to help your clients get into a focused mindset? Um, yeah, I mean, I, meditation, yeah, yoga. Yeah. Well, let me give you an example <laughs> because like I came in today and Josh literally picked me up from the beach somewhere, uh -huh. you know, and I had meetings today and I all sorts of stuff going on and, and he's calling me and I'm getting excited to get picked up and yeah. everything, you know, and I'm trying to like, I'm trying, I'm trying to kind of get my mind in the right place, you yeah. know? to get out there because just like you said, you know, we might pull out and you might get one shot of a fish and that's it, you yeah. know? And so, but I didn't know if there's like certain things that you found that could actually be helpful to a client coming on your boat and helping them get in the right headspace. What I try and do is just kind of give them a breakdown on what I expect the fish to do on this part of the tide. And if there's a part of the tide, you know, that we're going to get the bulk majority of our push of fish or, if we're fishing for redfish, you know, this is kind of going to be the nug of this area. You know, this is when you need to pay a little bit more attention, you know, when the tide's slack and you know, the, the push is not as good. All right. Maybe you can kind of, you know, do an email or whatever you, you know, need to do business wise. If you're on the phone or if you're on the boat and you need to do some, some business stuff, but I try and give them those opportunities mm -hmm. and, and, and have them focus in on, um, you know, when those, the better opportunities are going to be. And, uh, you know, a lot of times that, that does work. Yeah. So you have a lot of clients who get on their phones during the day. I mean, you know, I, I do just because I deal with a lot of business people mm -hmm. and you know, the, the unfortunate thing is, uh, for them is business doesn't stop. You know, they got to mm -hmm. work to be able to get on the front of my boat. So I'm not going to tell them when they yeah. can and can't, you know, do business stuff. But you know, a lot of times, you know, you'd like to see people maybe put the phone away a little bit more and, uh, just enjoy the day. Um, even if it is slow, you know, enjoy the birds, enjoy, you know, the waves hitting against the shore, you know, little, little things like that. Um, just keeps you more in touch with what's going on out there on the water. I agree. Yeah. Uh, you want to talk about, I want to talk about Louisiana. Yeah. yeah. Hell yeah, man. Let's talk about some Louisiana. Uh, can you just kind of go through, what that fishery is like down there it's seems pretty you know i've I've looked into going you know duck trips and stuff down yep. there and just looks really remote and awesome and just freaking yeah just looks cool man i mean it is it <laughs> is cool it is by far uh you know and, and people from texas may not like it when i say this but it's uh or even florida i mean it's by far the best red fishery in in the states um hands down uh, you see some pretty cool stuff out there um, with that being said, it is a place where when the weather's tough, it can be just as hard to find fish there as anywhere else. Um, you know, you really got to know what you're doing and where you're running. And, um, but when it all comes together, man, it's pretty special. You know, the fish get crazy shallow, they tail, they blow up on mullet, they eat poppers, they eat plugs. I mean, they, they do stuff that, um, you, you would never think a redfish could do. Um, and it's, it's, a, it's a beautiful place to fish because if I don't want to see another boat, I'm not going to, and, um, you know, there's just so much water to fish out there. What are some of the differences between the redfish there and the redfish maybe in Florida that have you seen differences? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a pressure thing. Um, you know, it, it's pressure and, and bait, you know, the amount of bait that's out there, the nutrients in the water. Uh, it's just a combination of everything. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, the fish there constantly cycling in and out. So you're not, um, you're not throwing at the same fish every day. What do you mean by that? Where do they go? You know, they may go out to the Gulf and, you know, not, not far out into the Gulf, but, uh, you know, areas a little bit further out, you know, just outside the ponds that you fish them in. And, you know, mm -hmm. they may go out there to feed on pogies for a few days and then they come back into the ponds and that's where you fly fish them. Um, so you, you know, you do constantly get fresh fish, 
Uh, there are ponds uh, in there where, you know, maybe like grass ponds where when the fish move in, they stay in there. But um, you just it's just a lack of pressure. That's why the fish eat better. That's why they mm-hmm. get shallower. That's why they get bigger. Um, you know, not that other areas don't get big fish, but, you know, we can catch them pretty good on fly. Seems like there's a yeah. large majority yeah. of large fish there. Exactly. Yeah, it's, it's, is so like you're saying there's obviously some differences between the fishery and somewhere like Florida, Texas and Louisiana. How how might your approach be different from Louisiana to Florida when you're approaching those redfish? Oh, man. Um, you know, obviously the, the redfish in Florida are going to be a little bit more delicate, uh, maybe throw smaller flies at them, a little bit softer flies that, you know, when they land, they don't make a big kersplat uh, in the water. Um, longer leaders, uh, because most of the time in Florida, you're fishing them in cleaner water. Mm-hmm. You know, in Louisiana, the water gets really clean. But for the most part, it's it's like the water here on the coast in North Florida, you know, where it gets that little bit dinginess to it, even when it, it's you think it's beautifully clean. So a lot of times in Louisiana, you'll throw bigger flies, something that, you know, when it hits the water, it makes a noise because those fish are so used to big mullet jumping and big shrimp jumping. And they when they hear something hit the water, they go looking for it. Um, mm-hmm. It's more of an attractive thing, whereas like you throw a Louisiana fly to redfish here, he's going to run for his life. You yeah. know? Um, they're just um, they're they're a little bit more aggressive there, so mm-hmm. you can be more aggressive with your fly placement. You can be more aggressive with the size of the fly, and um, yeah. And, and another thing I was wondering, so you're talking about fishing for redfish in clear water in Florida, and I've never fished in Texas. Is it mm-hmm. is it is Texas more like Florida or more like Louisiana? I would say Texas is the way you're where you're fishing them. Um, the shallowness and the clarity of the water is very similar uh, to Florida. Um, but I would say that the Texas redfish eat considerably better than okay. the Florida redfish for whatever reason. I don't know why, but, uh, I, I fished the Texas coast for the first time last September. Um, and you know, it was tailing shallow, clear water redfish. And if you showed the fly to them, I mean, the majority of the time they ate it, you know, they're not big. I mean, they're, you know, their average fish was probably 22 to 26 inches, mm-hmm. but it's all relative, you know, um, they do cool stuff. They stick their backs out of the water and they tail. And to me, you know, it doesn't matter. I mean, if they're doing cool stuff and you get to throw a fly at them or, you know, soft plastic or whatever, I mean, it's, it's, it's still fun. Yeah. You know? What are some tips that you could give to spotting fish? Because that was kind of what I was thinking through is like in Louisiana, I know y'all's water isn't as clear there. Yep. Um, what are some tips that you maybe could give some people on how you a personally try to kind mm-hmm. of spot fish, but then b uh, also if you have a client who's struggling to to see the fish. So what what my mentor taught me when I first started getting into sight fishing was, you know, I get on the boat with him and he was seeing these fish, and I'm like, man, how is this guy seeing these things? And I had polarized glasses on doing the whole deal and. His comment to me, and I, I take it, you know, onto my trips every day, um, is if someone's struggling seeing fish, um, I, what I try and tell them is don't let the glare of the surface of the water consume your eye. What you want to try and do as a sight fisherman is take your focus down to the bottom, pick shapes out on the bottom, whether it's an oyster shell or, uh, you know, a white sand hole or you know blade of grass or whatever if if and if you constantly focus on looking down through the water column as opposed to allowing that surface glare to consume your your vision uh when something's down there swimming through it or if it's dark or if it's a you know got a red glow or um whatever whatever you're fishing for your your eye's going to pick that shape up mm-hmm. um so that that's that's one thing that I try to do when, when I'm sight fishing for fish is, is look at those small shapes on the bottom. And then, um, you know, when, if you can pick out a, an oyster shell on the bottom, you're going to be able to see a redfish no matter how clear the water is or how mm-hmm. dirty the water is. Um, and then from a glare standpoint, um, I don't know if you guys know the trick, but you know, if you rotate your head towards the sun, it's kind of like a polarizer on a, uh, like a polarizing filter on a, on a camera. When you rotate the polarizer, your polarization on that filter changes and it gets better or worse. So if you take your glasses and rotate your head towards the sun. The top of your head towards the sun. Yeah, rotate the top of your head towards the sun. It's going to act like a polarizing filter 
and, and the polarization in your glasses is actually going to change as you tilt and it can make all the difference in the world in seeing a mm-hmm. fish and not seeing a fish. So if you haven't tried that next time you go on the no, water, super helpful. if you, if you tilt your head away from the sun, so like if the sun's over here to our right and I tilt my head to the right, my vision, my, my, my polarization is going to get better in the water. If, mm-hmm. if the sun's to the right and I tilt my head to the left away from the sun, it's going to get worse. The only time it doesn't work is when the sun's right over your head. It yeah. just, you just got, you know, midday you glare, you got to deal with it. I've been trying to stick my head out really far, close <laughs> to fish as possible. <laughs> Everyone out there's good. Yeah, they're just twirling their heads around. Yeah. Or, or, <laughs> I get or, guys all the time on the back. They're like on the front of the boat, like, "What are you doing?" If I'm it's like, if it's rough out there, yeah. I've been I've been known to get in the water with them. Accidentally, accidentally, yeah, I have done that a time or two before. But um, yeah, that was something I was wondering for sure with trying to spot fish. Yeah. You know, obviously, like you know. If their tail's popping out the water, their back's that, popping out the water, easy. sure. But yep. if a if a redfish is coming through, you yep. got a client on the front, and you're yep. trying to help them. You're gonna you're gonna try to coach them up even before, like, hey, you know, look for shadows on the ground, yep. tilt your head towards the sun. Yeah, and then even even here, like tarpon fishing, like what I try and do, like if I get to a spot, is you know, I I scan my area for, you know, all right, here's my white holes. Boom, boom, boom. I got three white holes in front of me, and here's my grass. Well, I may not be able to pick the entire fish up but when something dark shows up into that white hole whether the water's dirty or clean and it may you may not you know be able to you know completely crisply visually pick up that fish it could be sliding slow on the bottom you know all right well something just showed up into that hole Mm -hmm. that's got to be that's got to be my fish um Mm -hmm. so always scan your area when you get to a spot and when something that's not supposed to be there shows up that's usually you know, mm-hmm. that's usually your, your subject. Your and if it's not, it's free to cast. Yep, absolutely. <laughs> yep. Yep. Absolutely. Um, so let's talk about, I mean, I know, I know we're hammering on the redfish, but you catch a lot of redfish. So that's cool. Bring it. Um, yeah. once you, so you got the fish spotted. Let's, let's, can you walk us through a shot with a client? I mean, if redfish are kind of, they're a little bit squirmy. They're always darting around. It's not like a tarpon where it's usually holding to a line yep. or something like that. Um, you know, what I, what I try and do is I always give, you know, obviously distance and direction, number one, and, you know, I'll say 10 o'clock, uh, 40 feet and whether they're looking in the right direction or not, I usually try and have them take their rod tip and point with the rod tip. What about boat placement to you? Like, how are you, like, let's say in the scenario you're trying to push pole up towards mm -hmm. a group of fish, like how close are you trying to get to them? Um, I'm, I'm trying to get to that distance where I know my angler's ability is it's in their range. Um, so if I've got a guy that, you know, even if I've got a guy though, that can throw the whole fly line into the backing, I'm probably not going to try and get him a shot until it's inside of 60 feet. Okay. Uh, Just because I don't care who you are. Uh, you're going to be more accurate at shorter distances than you are at 100 feet. Sure. And if, if you do make a bad cast at 100 feet, it's very hard to pick up a 100 foot of fly line and then recast. Mm-hmm. It's much easier to pick up, you know, 40, 50 foot of line, you know, and then put it back in there. Um, so that's that's pretty much what I do. But I mean, I think you know, trying to get the angler to see the fish is is number one. If they can see it, the majority of the time, you know, they're going to have a better idea of where to put the fly. So I, I, I visually try to get them to see it before I tell them to cast. If I don't, if, if they don't see it, then I, obviously I got to walk them into it, you know? All right, start your cast. All right, a little bit further, a little bit further, drop that one. And, you know, when I tell them to drop it, I don't want them to shoot any line. Just drop that amount of line and boom, that way, you know, we're on the same page and I can kind of walk you into, mm-hmm. the, into the shot. Um, do you try to get them to do like a double hand retrieve or? You know, not for redfish. Um, redfish, a lot of times, you know, you're, you're, you know, you're trying to imitate a shrimp or a crab and then those things, you know, they hop off the bottom. So it's like bump, bump, um, mm. here for tarpon in the keys. Uh, I do a lot of two hand stripping, um, just to keep the fly moving super smooth and, and tracking good. I do it a little bit here too. Um, but we do use some flies here that mm-hmm. you want to, you want to bump a little bit more to give the tail a little bit more action. Mm-hmm. Uh, it just depends on the situation. Mm-hmm. Um, can you tell us about your redfish flies? Uh, yeah, I mean, in Louisiana, in, Louis- in Louisiana, anything? bigger the better, man. Get them, <laughs> get them to see it. They're, they're yeah. very, very opportunistic. So uh, if I got dirty water, either, you know, super dark, super mm-hmm. light. Um, you know, a lot of times if I, if it's, a, if it's still warm enough out, um, the popper thing works just because even if you're five feet off, 
Mm-hmm. You know, if you're behind the fish and you pop it, he's going to hear it spin around and come up mm-hmm. and eat it. Um, so usually the bigger, the better there for the bigger fish. And then when we do our spring and summertime, uh, duck pond fishing, I throw a lot of, you know, a lot of shrimp flies, a lot mm-hmm. of stuff that you would use here for, you know, shallow water, clear pond redfish. And if you have somebody and you're doing conventional fishing, mm-hmm. like, do you mind sharing what you might be throwing at fish? With uh, that setup? from a redfish standpoint? Yeah. Redfish. Standpoint. Um, Louisiana redfish. If, uh, if I've got an area where I've got a lot of bait around and the water may not be crazy clear mm-hmm. and I'm trying to search for them, topwater she dog is the way to go. Um, I like the all bone color. Uh, that's my favorite one. The, the all white one. Um, if I'm trying to sight fish them, it's, it's a lot of the similar stuff that you guys would use here. Jerk baits, you know, paddle tail, yeah, paddle like tail, that. just mm-hmm. something that, you know, you can kind of slide in there and get them to see it and they eat it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not super technical in Louisiana, you know, mm-hmm. just get them, <laughs> getting them to see what you're presenting to them. Mm-hmm. That's really all it is. I'm going to try to throw the Louisiana boys one more bone here. Uh, <laughs> what are, if you could name just like two or three things, somebody want to go fish redfish in Louisiana that you try to key in on to find the fish. Not telling them where you're fishing, but just things bait. to look for. Just bait. find the bait. Find the bait. Majority of the time, you're going to find the fish. Um, that's probably the number one thing um, that that I you know look for. Um, if I'm conventional fishing, a lot of times I'll fish the wind. Like a lot of people get gravitated to the the lee shorelines when they redfish, just because it's calm. You know, you can usually see the fish a little bit easier. But if I'm conventional fishing. Uh, I want to be on the, the windblown shorelines because that's where all the bait's getting pushed into mm-hmm. uh, and, the, and the redfish just follow, you know, right in with them. Uh, same time, same thing too if I'm fly fishing. If I've got a, a windy shoreline that's clean enough where I can see them, I'll go to the windy shoreline as opposed to fishing a lee shoreline. Uh, the only time you really want to concentrate on the lee shorelines is like after a hard cold front um, in the wintertime or in the fall when that lee shoreline is going to warm up the water on the on the lee shoreline is going to warm up faster because it's calmer and it's getting beaten down by the sun. So those fish will gravitate toward that towards that warmer water, um, and that's you know that's when I gravitate towards those lee shorelines. But um, I do fish off the shorelines a lot too. A lot of people make the mistake, uh, you know, of, I've got to be right on the bank, mm-hmm. and you know the reality of it is the majority of the fish are. How do you make a that decision? Yards off is, the bank. Like as far as okay, pulling into a spot and you're mm-hmm. trying to decide. You know, let's just say that you don't know exactly what's going on in this mm-hmm. scenario. Are you going to start from the outside and work towards the bank, or how do you make that decision? So it's just understanding like the pond situation. So if I've got a series of ponds that you know open up or have an access point for with deep water, mm-hmm. deep water is the key to all the Louisiana fishing, uh, especially in the fall and winter. If, if there's a deep water access into a series of ponds. When the water's high, fish are going to come in through that deep water access and they're going to, you know, they're going to get up in those ponds. They're going to, you know, try and get warm and feed and do all that. When the water's low, they're going to filter out through that deep water access and they're going to be on the the outside shorelines close to those ponds. Um, So understanding those things, if I've got a sunny day and I've got clean water, you'll never see me within 100 yards of a shoreline. Just Mm -hmm. because knowing how the fish work in Louisiana uh, if you've, if you've got an oyster patch, you know, a hundred yards off a bank and you know, it's there and the water's mm-hmm. clean and you can kind of pick around them, uh, go venture out and look around there. You'll, you'll be surprised what you find. Um, cause that's where the majority of the fish will sit, especially when the water drops out. And obviously you've learned a lot about the Louisiana fishery since you went to play baseball at Tulane. Mm-hmm. Could you talk us through your approach on how you tried to learn it? Oh God, man. I mean, I, I started learning it in a 12 foot aluminum John boat mm-hmm. that I bought for 300 bucks from Sam's club. Just going out every Just day. Just going out. I'd throw that thing in the back of my trick pickup truck bed and had an eight horsepower kicker and I'd go as far as I could and, mm-hmm. you know, just kept working my way out, working my way out. I think if you can, you know, find stuff close and then, you know, just, you know, gravitate out from there. I mean, that's, that's the way that I learned it. And then once you get out there and something works, Mm-hmm. You know, you start processing, okay, well, this worked, why? You know, what was it about this spot? What was it about this part of the tide? Um, what was it about this, you know, this series of ponds? Okay, I'm looking at it. All right, well, what else is similar to that? So you look at a map, 
okay, well, that's similar to that. Let me go look there. Sure, mm-hmm. isn't, sure enough, you go there on the same kind of conditions, bam, there's fish mm-hmm. there. And then you just expand from there. Um, that's, that's pretty much how I learned it. And I'm still learning. I mean, that marsh mm-hmm. is so big. Uh, it's, it's almost hard to know every little square inch. And that's kind of similar to what Jonathan Hamilton, when we sat down with him a few episodes ago, mm-hmm. talked about he's always looking for patterns, patterns, yeah, patterns, patterns. Yeah. And, you know, some fish are a little harder to pattern than yeah. others. But what you're saying is you just, rather than saying, oh, I got to have all the right gear, I got to have the perfect boat. Because, I mean, you have an awesome boat now, but, you know, the East 15. Cape was cool too. The East yeah. Cape was cool. I mean, it's, yeah, <laughs> yeah, but, you know. No, they're good friends of mine. I mean, I, I got East Cape's family. Yeah. yeah. But, you know, you, you just showed up to Sam's Club, you bought what you could afford, yep. and then you started just trying to learn a small little area, mm-hmm. identified a pattern, yep. and then tried to kind of expand out. Exactly. I mean, is there any other insight you could give to that for somebody who's trying to learn an area better? Um, you know, the, the fish patterns will change with the seasons. Uh, fish do different things in the summertime than they do in the wintertime. Um, you know, usually in the fall, the fish will school up. Um, early fall, late summer, early fall, you know, they get ready to go through the spawn. Uh, they get on a lot of shrimp, uh, in the fall. Um, you know, they're, they're trying to fatten up before the winter, before the hard cold fronts. And, um, you know, as they, as it gets cooler, I I think the fish get shallower as it gets cooler Mm -hmm. because the shallower stuff's going to warm up quicker. So, you know, maybe not during a super hard cold front, you know, those fish are going to drop out and they're going to go into their holes. And then the second, you know, that water temp spikes two to three degrees, they're going to want to get right back up into that shallow stuff. And what's like the ideal degrees and if you range for fish getting to where you can see their tails and, um, I mean, fish will tail in the summertime when the water is 90 degrees, but it just doesn't last long. Mm -hmm. You know, they get up in the grass ponds and they'll tail. Um, but in the fall and winter, you know, the majority of our fish come in from offshore uh, once the water temps get consistently below 65 degrees. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would say, you know, that magic number is somewhere between 55 and 65. Mm-hmm. That's when the bulk majority of our, our breeding size fish mm-hmm. come inshore. Um, but, you know, with that being said, we can get big fish year round. We just got to change where we're looking for them mm-hmm. and, and know where to go look for them. To everyone that lives in Louisiana and fishes redfish. You can make your checks payable to Greg Dean. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. man, it's fun to sit down and have. We've somebody's gonna go get lost down there after listening to this. Hey, <laughs> I've got, I've gotten lost. Yeah, I, I've uh, gotten lost. You know, we've this podcast so far. We've talked naturally because of the time frame of recording and our personal interest. You know, it has been predominantly tarpon, and we're wanting to expand more. I talked to you on the phone about yeah. this, but it's like we're wanting to have. Um, more diversity in who we interview. We've, we try to get diversity in age. We try to get diversity in tribe, you know, so that's not just all one group of friends or something like that. Yeah. There's, you know, it's, you know, unavoidable for us to not take a few people off with who we interview or whatever. Um, but it is fun to kind of, as we start to approach a little bit more of a redfish season to like kind of look at that. I mean, is what are the biggest mistakes that you see people making when approaching redfish? Just running in on them too quick. I mean, um, are you talking about like coming in on them with yeah, a boat or just? Yeah, yeah. Just, I mean, you know, l- let's let's say that Josh and I are out and we're we're trying to track down some redfish. Like, what are just some of the big common no nos that people tend to make that you feel like make a big difference? Um, I would I would say you know when you're when you're going into an area where you think there's fish, um, instead of running right in and stopping right in the middle of where you think they're going to be, you know, slowly work into that zone because a lot of times they may not be exactly where they are. You know, they could be holding a little bit further out based on water levels and, and stuff like that. But, um, you know, just, just get on the pole or get on the trolling motor and, and work slowly through an area as mm-hmm. opposed to, you know, speed polling or power trolling through a zone. Uh, you just, you learn more. Mm-hmm. Um, it may take you more time to learn, but when you do figure it out, you're going to really know how it works as opposed to just blowing through a bunch of areas and, and, you know, going back to things that may not have worked one time, you know, and when you thought it could work, cause it may not have worked that one time, but you go back two weeks later and it works. It's like, you know, why did it work that time and mm-hmm. not the other? Is there a way that you record 
like information that Man, you kind of pick up or do you just try to store it in your head and it, it's mostly in my head um mm. i probably should write stuff down but i've yet to find somebody that has like a, a big system or yeah. not even like a big system but most people it seems like that we sit down with it's some form of like i'll go through seasons where like for one week i'm like logging it in this yeah. journal you know and the only person that we've sat down with that i feel like has had something super consistent i know well too my dad has a system he uses on evernote in uh -huh. his screenshots and kind of puts in some different factors that he thinks is important with you know, moon phase, tides, yeah. etc. And then Dave has like a, a journal he's that he's his black, diary, little black book, his diary, yeah. his little diary. Yeah. And have uh, you seen it? I haven't. No, he's, he he's told it. me about it. Yeah, he, he wouldn't let us see it. Either. Me see it. Yeah. yeah. I uh -huh. think it's, I think he, he acts like he doesn't want anybody to see it because you know, it's got information, but it, maybe it has like maybe a, something weird on the cover or something. Maybe it doesn't exist. I don't know. Or maybe it does. It's in his head. Like the whole time it was in his head, but you know, I, I've been w wanting to hear, just it seems like most guides it's just like they're just going out they're just going out and over time it's kind of ingraining in their head but yeah i mean it's like you talk about patterns you know when those pattern when you when you start dialing in on those patterns um it's, it's you, most of the time you're just not going to forget it mm -hmm. you know because that's your livelihood and that's what you gotta you know what you gotta you know that's why you show your clients what you show them because of what you've learned um yeah. it's hard to hard to forget that kind of stuff so just a couple of things we want to talk about too with you traveling some what are the areas that you fish again uh so home base is louisiana mm -hmm. um i fish pretty much the entire state from uh, as far west as you can go to as far east and as far south as you can go um and of then, louisiana of louisiana fish the whole deal um okay. and then i go from louisiana down to isla Mirada. i'm in isla Mirada from early april through first week in june and then i come up here I was, I'll be here June 8th through July 26th and then back home. Mm -hmm. And as you're kind of traveling, you've obviously over time, have you, have you always traveled out the gate? Uh, for the most part. Yeah. I mean, I think, yeah, I think year one, um, was the first year I came over here to the panhandle and, um, hadn't fished it before. Uh, came over here with Greg Arnold one day and, uh, pretty much started running trips okay ever since yeah so so with that learned it in one day went out <laughs> book for me now one day <laughs> in the old aluminum sam's club boat there you go what Dude. are some challenges you see in in being a traveling guide so to speak what's not a challenge yeah um, finding restaurants uh, yeah that's that's easy um, no i mean i would say the number one challenge is uh is uh family um mm. you know i've got three young kids and a wife that are back home and they've got a lot going on kids you know getting into travel baseball and you know the girls i got so i got a seven-year-old boy four-year-old daughter and two-year-old daughter and uh if i didn't have my mother-in-law there to help. I don't know how I would do what I'm doing now. So it's just, it's managing family time and balance, um, because I don't want to be away. Um, you know, tarpon fishing's in my blood, so I'm always going to do that. But, you know, I want to be at home with my family just like everyone else. Um, so that's, that's probably one of the toughest things to have to deal with. Uh, but, um, you know, you got to do what you got to do. Uh, mm -hmm. the business, just in Louisiana, you know, the business is there uh, from a bay boat standpoint, pop and cork, you know, a live bait kind of deal. There's a, there's a few guys that are there year-round doing the fly thing. It's just hard to stay consistent with it during the summer. And, um, you know, I grew up tarpon fishing in Florida. grew up mm -hmm. in Orlando. So uh, for me, it's just an easy transition to go back to Florida for the few months that I do and, and uh, you know, fill that passion. Um, but uh, as far as that... Uh, you know, when you do get into the areas that you travel to, it's just gaining their respect from the guys that have been there, uh, that have been there for a long time doing it long before you have. Mm -hmm. And, um, I think as a traveling guide, a lot of guys and even myself, uh, made the mistake of, you know, you come in there and you feel like you should have respect right away mm -hmm. and, and you got to earn that respect. Um, and it takes time. Uh, there's been situations out here on the shoal where, uh, you know, I've, I've gotten into it with some of these guys and it, it, it hasn't been, it's not their fault. You know, it's me 
being, you know, the younger guide and thinking that, you know, I've got every right to fish where I want to fish. And, and the reality of it is, uh, you know, you don't, you know, sometimes mm-hmm. you got to be the guy that sits behind and, you know, gets a quarter of the shots. And then when you start figuring your own stuff out and doing your own thing and not getting in people's way, I mean, a lot of times that's when you start gaining the respect of, of you know, the guys that have been here longer than you have. And that was one of the things I was wondering, like, for those who are traveling, you've been doing it for over 10 years now. Mm-hmm. So you've probably picked up a lot of a lot of lessons. You probably had to pay some dumb tax and oh, yeah. I'm sure made some mistakes on the way. What, what do you feel like are the most important things to do when it comes to trying to gain respect from some of the locals and, and just in general from other guides? And just 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 be you, um, you know, put your head down, do the grind, um, fish early, fish late, you know, work hard. Um, and you know, that, that's really all you can do. Um, Mm -hmm. do you just, you know, do your own thing. Uh, there's, there's, uh, guys that have been there before you that have, that have learned their routine and and their spots. And, you know, if you can expand on that and, you know, just gain the respect from that standpoint, maybe that helps them out too, uh, down Mm -hmm. the road. You know, maybe they, maybe their stuff's not working one day and, you know, uh, now you've created this relationship with the guys that have been there before you Mm -hmm. and you know maybe you can help them out a little bit um they may not always want it but you know if if, uh if you can you know offer it at least that's all you can do and um that's uh that's that's how i've done it that's been the way that i've kind of pushed through it and uh Mm -hmm. there's there was some rough times but um as long as you you know you keep your head down and keep your nose clean and do your thing that's that's all that's all you can do for you, what was the turning point from kind of going, like you said, there's some rough times or like sometimes where maybe you weren't patient or respectful. Mm-hmm. Like what was for you the turning point that you feel like where maybe a light bulb clicked or not that you're, you know, I'm not trying to make anybody come on the podcast and say that they do anything perfectly, yeah, yeah. but for you, is there a turning point? Um, yeah, actually. Um, and it, uh, it probably happened with, uh, one of the guys that you had on the podcast previously, um, Mangum. You know, Dave and I are great friends uh, to this day. But uh, when I first started fishing down here, um, I was the guy that sat behind him and, mm-hmm. you know, would get up early in the morning and try to beat him to the spot. And that's the last thing you want to do with somebody who's put their hard sweat, blood and tears into learning an area. And uh, finally, you know, he he knew I wasn't going to go anywhere. You know, mm-hmm. I obviously knew what, you know, the, the poon game. And, you know, he uh, he reached out to me and sat me down. And he's like, man, you know, let's just go have a beer. You know, let's get to know each other. Um, and, uh, you know, he just kind of explained how, you know, he got into it and how much we had in common. And, uh, you know, how he thought I should go about you know, the future of, of what I was going to be doing, um, you know, from a guiding standpoint. Mm-hmm. And, uh, it really truly opened my eyes to, you know, how you should go about your business and, mm-hmm. uh, how you should go about your routine and your work ethic and, uh, just for general respect for mm-hmm. other guides. Um, because we're all in this together, you know, um, we all are here to, you know, show our clients a good time and not have them have to get in confrontations with other guides on the water. It's not, it, it doesn't make their day any better. Yeah. So if you respect the other, your peers, the other guides around you, uh, you're just going to get along better with everybody and uh, things are going to go smoother. Days are going to be more enjoyable and you end up catching more fish, you know? So what was, so what was the big kind of principle behind that sit down? Um, I mean, the principle behind it, is is i mean it's it's respect i mean that that's really intellectual property we were talking about earlier i mean mm-hmm. um you you just you, you don't come into an area and expect to get the respect from those guys that have put that mm-hmm. hard work into it right away you know yeah. you don't just have every right to come in and fish an a spot i mean that's you know where where that whole deal went down you know that's an a spot and uh sometimes you know coming in you know, you got to work to get those A spots and you got to learn your own A spots and what works for you. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, that, that was probably the, the big thing is, you know, find your own stuff because if, if, if you learn it on your own, not from other people, mm-hmm. um, you're just going to know it better. And, um, and that, that was, that was the big thing that I got out of it. Yeah. I know on the podcast, he said something along the lines of like, 
people won't give you respect if you demand it or mm -hmm. something along that. But yeah, that, exactly. Yeah, yeah. That, that makes a lot of sense. It touches on that. Um, and that's kind of an interesting contrast though, to where you, you know, you're doing tarpon fishing for a certain part of the year and you're navigating all of the crap that comes with that and mm -hmm. some of the politics and all the relationships and everybody's, you know, kind of trying to semi work together yeah. if you want to use that phrase. Yep. And then you go to Louisiana and you might not see another boat. Like, how do you try to make the shift from tarpon to redfish? Is there, do you have well, any the, fun the, rituals that you do? <laughs> I mean, there's really you no shift. sacrifice any animals or melons? You don't have to worry about seeing it. I would imagine. So. Yeah. I mean, you know, when we talked with Stump, uh, he pretty much every year kind of does like a family trip up to the mountains. And mm -hmm. he thought about, he usually will like guide somebody for trout because he doesn't, you know, he said he's gone through seasons where he's like, no, I want to figure this out. And then he's like, no, I actually would like somebody just to like walk me around and like, <laughs> <laughs> you know, that makes, you know, this is kind of transitioning out of tarpon season. Like for you, what, what does that look like transitioning from tarpon season to redfish season? Uh, I mean, the transition is like, I mean, I've basically been going for 11 months straight. So the transition is, you know, I get home, I'd take at least a week or two off, enjoy some family time, maybe go on a little vacation with them. Mm -hmm. Uh, we may go to Disney this year when we get back. I am, you know, go down to the keys for a few days and that's kind of lobstering. And it's like you work. drive over to Louisiana yeah, and drive back to Orlando. Well, I may actually have the family meet me here in the panhandle okay. and just come, you know, go from here. Mm. But, um, you know, and then just kind of getting back into the swing of being able to just go out and explore and not see another boat and, you know, um, yeah, just a different vibe. Do you spend a few days alone? doing that or do you just get right into um, the guiding what i'll usually do because uh, my my uh my kids are still out of school so i'll usually take you know my oh, boy cool. out and you know i'll fun fish with him for a few days and just see what's going on and the, uh, does he does he like that he loves I mean, it yeah i can't he, you know, how old is he he's seven seven yeah he needs okay. to get Can on you the, throw a fly ride yet not yet no i've we both have kids on the way, so we're trying to figure go. out what's early so yeah. you can get them a fly. Yeah, around. I mean, I, I, you know, I think once you get them into the spin game, it's, you know, at an early age, it's just keeping them busy, even if they're catching sail cats. I mean, yeah. It doesn't matter what they're catching as long as they're pulling on something. So I go out, take them out, you know, shrimp on a cork, and just whatever he catches, he catches. But, it, you know, when he's ready to go in, we're gone. Yeah. You know, I don't want to push it any longer than he wants to be out there and – I think if you can do that, you know, it keeps their interest. In I have a three-year-old, like, obsessed with sharks and go. is really good at – she She just loves reading, and she loves, like – she's kind of got to the point where she can – she just turned three, but, like, she can – she realizes that, like, in this book and then in another book, they'll have the same species of shark. And she wants to know, like, what is that species? And then she likes to set out her books uh -huh. to, like, have all the stuff kind of lined up, and she's really into hammerheads and stuff. And That's cool. Uh, you know, she just started getting to where she like, will go out on the boat and she's three and she'll, she'll have a lot of fun going out on the boat. Mm -hmm. And then now she's starting to kind of play with the bait if we do live bait or, um, I've brought her out when I have tried to do some practice fly casting, uh -huh. you know, and she can last about five minutes of that, you know, <laughs> I'll bring her like a little bike out, tricycle, whatever. Yeah. Um, but I'm sure like you mentioned that one of the biggest challenges to traveling or just, I mean, and I feel this some from guides that I know that are kind of hometown guides that mm -hmm. don't travel. It's still just a lot of time away from the family. Mm -hmm. I'm sure it is kind of nice just to get to do that and kind of be his guide. Yeah, you know, absolutely. in that season. Yeah, I mean, any advice that you would maybe give to somebody if if they're at the beginning, they'll have a seven year old to have. You know, like Josh and I both have kids on the way as mm -hmm. well. Um, what what advice would you give to young parents who are involved in the fishing industry? Um. I mean, spend as much time with your kids as you can. I mean, it's it, it's crazy. You know, people always tell you, or your parents always tell you, you know, how time flies um, and how quick they grow up, and it's so true. And you don't realize it until you've got kids and you feel like he was just born yesterday, and now he's seven and going into second grade. And, um, you know, make the time, uh, make the effort um, to spend time with them and, and show them, you know, why you're passionate about the mm. sport. Um, the little things don't just, it's not just about the hard, you know, grind out days on the water, you know, take them on the boat, show them all the wildlife, the birds, um, you know, take them crabbing, you know, just anything on the water that, you know, they can see the enjoyment in your face and, you know, that, that, um, 
you know, it seems to transfer over. Uh, if, if, if you're having fun, they have fun. They want to do what dad's doing. And, um, as long as it's not too hardcore, uh, it, it usually works out for the better. And it's, it's, it's a good activity for them to, uh, stay out of trouble. You know, do you have like conversations about, Hey, I'm getting ready to hit the road. Like, I mean, do you try to kind of talk them through at seven? I'm sure to, you know, he's picking up on seven it. At, seven at registers. Yeah. The, the girls, the, the younger girls don't understand yet, mm-hmm. but, um, you know, the, the four year olds starting to kind of get there. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it's not easy. Um, you know, when you know, you're going to be, you know, spending that time away for, you know, the four months and, um, what I try and do as a parent, when I know I'm getting ready to head out for that amount of time is, is give them something of mine, uh, for them to look over during the time that I'm gone. Hmm. So, you know, I'll give, uh, you know, my son, um, I gave him a redfish painting or a redfish, uh, piece of artwork, Mm -hmm. you know, that he could keep in his room that he had to take care of. That's very important to me. And, you know, it, it shows him the responsibility of taking care of it. And it also, you know, lets him know that I'm still there, even though I'm, I'm not there physically, like, you know, I'm, I'm still there with him. And, um, you know, with all the FaceTime things we do these days, uh, you know, it's kind of easy to stay in touch from that standpoint, but the same thing with the little girls, just, you know, give them something to take care of that daddy knows is important. And, uh, it just kind of keeps them attached, uh, during that time, you yeah. know, when you aren't there. That's a really them. good idea. Yeah. And it kind of invites them into what you're doing a little bit, which exactly. is like, you know, my dad's a charter fishing captain and I very much feel a part of what he's doing, you know, and I'm in my twenties. So it's not like yeah. I'm not seven, but I'm just saying like, yeah. it's, it matters because family matters yeah, and what exactly. people in my family are passionate about. I care about yeah. because it's, and so that, that makes a lot of sense. And, and just to kind of invite them into, into what you're doing, show them why it matters. Yeah. And then how in an ideal world, we give you a magic wand and you can like, you know, your family can travel and see you. Cause I know your family's coming to see you mm-hmm. this weekend. Yep. I mean, how, how often are you trying to see them in person in the, in that season? I mean, when I'm down in the keys, it's tough just because the travel, I mean, the, you know, it's like, you, it's yeah. a, it's a flight, you know? Yeah. Cause that's no, like, it'd be like what? 15 hours in a car. Yeah. 13, 14 hours. 13, 14. Um, so it's got, they got to fly. And then my wife flying with three kids Ooh. by herself is, yeah, she she gets a little anxiety about that. But yeah. um, uh, when they're when I'm down there, I try and see him at least once a month. Okay. And then when I'm here in the Panhandle, it's about a six hour drive, so every couple weeks. Okay. You know, for three or four days. And then, just interestingly, you said you have your your mother in law helps you mm-hmm. with the business as well. Yep. So it, it kind of is like you know, I'm, even though the seven year old's not really doing a ton on the business side, you know, Hey, I want you to invite you into this business. And then yep. does your wife help you some with the business? And um, she, she helps with ideas, okay. um, from a business planning standpoint, um, you know, marketing standpoint, she'll help from that, uh, from that angle. But, uh, she's got her own professional job. She's a uh, nurse at, uh, Oshner medical center in new Orleans. And, uh, she, she, she deals with a lot of oncology patients. So she's got her own challenges in itself. Um, but, uh, yeah, I get a lot of help from my mother-in-law, Susan. Uh, she does all the phone calls, emails. Um, she helps with the marketing stuff as well. So it's, it's definitely a, a business that we're, we're running, and, uh, you know, we've created a brand. Yeah. yeah it's fun. It, it's a fun family adventure. Yeah, man. <laughs> so family expeditions. <laughs> family adventures. Mm-hmm. Family... Family, Fun. Shit, family shit show. <laughs> well, that sounds like the, the, the Instagram, you know, hashtag or something you could use for it. Or, um, well, are you good for us to transition into some rapid fire questions? Yeah, man, for sure. All right. Well, you, you mentioned earlier that when you got to Louisiana and you started sight fishing for redfish, you had a mentor mm-hmm. that showed you the ropes. And that was kind of one of the questions we had outside of a parent mm-hmm. or a family member who has been the most influential in your life as a guide. Uh, Charlie Madden, who is, he's, you talking about from a fit, just fishing standpoint or either or either, yeah, however I mean, you want to take it. Yeah. yeah. I mean, uh, his name's Charlie Madden. He's, uh, he's from Orlando, Florida. Uh, he is the guy that pretty much got me into fly fishing and, uh, he showed me, you know, pretty much everything I know from a fly fishing standpoint uh, to this day. If there was any one singular person that I could have on the front of my boat, that in, in any situation I needed to catch a fish, it'd be that guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's, he's legit. What do you think is the funniest story in your 10 plus years of guiding that you've racked up oh, that you can't share on air? 
Oh God. Okay. Okay. So, uh, it was out on the reef here probably six or seven years ago. Um, I had a vantage at the time and the wind was blowing out of the South and I had the boat. I had the, yeah, right. I had the boat. Yep. I had the boat anchored up from the back. So the bow of the boat's facing north, you know, facing towards the mainland. And at that time, you know, I've got the cage on the front hatch and I only had one latch on it. So earlier in the day, the guy went in, my angler went into the front hatch, got something out of the front hatch, out of his bag, and then shut the hatch. Didn't lock the latch back. Hmm. So we get there, boat's anchored up from the back, waves are coming in from the south, so the boat's like pitching forward like this. And uh, it was slow, 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 and then finally he gets a shot. And as he's taking the shot, puts the fly in the perfect spot and leans forward onto the cage. Mm-hmm. Well, the cage isn't locked anymore because it's on the hatch. The hatch isn't locked. So he literally gets shot off the front of the bow like he's on a, like he's on a slide <laughs> straight off the bow. Immediately, the only thing I see sticking up is the rod bobbing in the water and his two legs <laughs> sticking out of the water. And I'm like, oh my God, this guy's dead. Yeah. You know? So I run up to the front of the boat. He comes up. He's got his buff on. So his buff is soaking wet. He's like waterboarding himself because he, you know, it's like if you ever tried to suck through How, like a wet buff. Was he an older it? guy or a younger guy? Mid-50s. Middle? Okay. Yeah. So right. he comes up like gasping for air. And uh, I'm like, are you okay? Are you okay? He's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm fine. I'm fine. As soon as he said he was fine, I've never laughed so hard before in my entire life. <laughs> and did he get a hook set? No. No, no, no fish. As soon as he hit the water, you know, fish yeah. blew out. And uh, the next day, I put two additional latches on my front hatch. So now <laughs> that boat then had three on the front as opposed yeah. to one. And there were there were no mistakes. And a padlock that. on the actual yeah. hatch. Well, what did he say when you get him in the boat? You like you get your client in the boat soaking wet. What did he say? He's man? like, man, I you know, I was like, what happened? He's like, man, I you know, I just I leaned forward and I was like, yeah, you forgot to latch that lock, didn't you? He's like, mm. I guess I did. Yeah. But it was it was it was funny. Thank God there you have it. Hurt. Yeah. If you could go back to yourself at the Sam's Club, mm-hmm. purchasing a, a 12-foot boat, loading it in the cart, probably with some other, I don't know, hamburgers, mm-hmm. you know, cotton balls. Yep. Um, I don't know what you buy in bulk at the... I don't know Bub- what types Bubba, of, Bubba burgers, man. Bubba burgers. I don't know what types of things you're into at the Sam's Club. I always <laughs> say with Costco, show up for carrots and leave with a kayak. There you go. I get sucked into that yeah. middle section. If I yeah. go with my wife, I'm like, all right, you you already know what we need to get food-wise. I want to go look at all this crap in the middle. Yeah. It's interesting. There you, know? you go. If you go back to yourself and you bump into yourself at the Sam's Club buying the 12-foot boat, what, what advice, what things would you tell yourself? Oh, man. Um, that's a great question. I don't know if I've got an answer to that. Um, I would say, uh, you know, going back then, knowing what I know now, um, just make sure, like, you know, once you get into, you know, you've got this passion for what you do. I've always had a passion for fishing. Um, when you, when I got into the, the relationship with my wife, um, she, she's always been very supportive and she's made moves to support what I do in the business that I, that I have now. Um, just to make sure that you're constantly giving the support back hmm. to your spouse, the way she supported, supported you. And, um, cause you know, you're, you're a team together. And, uh, if, uh, if, if you guys don't support each other, it's, it's hard to, to grow and move forward, um, throughout both of your careers. So, um, I've supported her, but maybe just support her a little bit more. Um, that, that's something that I would probably, uh, tell myself if I saw myself buying that John boat back in the day, knowing that I was probably going to end mm-hmm. up being a guide at some point. Because we do, like you said, we do spend a lot of time, you know, away from the family and, uh, you know, um, yeah. And you guys were high school sweethearts. Yeah, is that right? man. Yeah. I, I married my high school sweetheart yeah. and then Josh. Come on, dump me. Oh, I, I think two of, two of them. Did. <laughs> <laughs> but you, you and your wife were kind of high school sweethearts. We were, we were high school acquaintances. Uh, there was never, some tension. Yeah. There's, there's a, there's a lot of 
back and forth there, you know. Yeah. Including including the greatest duck hunting day of Yin Josh and, and I's yeah. life. Oh, we what can happened? tell that story oh, now. Come on. Well, it's our wives We're about to have a kid. To the po- we, our, we have five year. Yeah, yeah my wife doesn't anyway. listen to the podcast. So five, yeah, five year anniversary. We're good. Yeah. All right, so here we go. I'm not going to say what lake because there's already too many people on it. We call it Location Z. That's the lake. Lake Z. In a lake. Somewhere, somewhere in the in world, the unknown. So, and we were just shooting bull necks. So it's not even like it's really that crazy, you know. Uh, all right, so we we're there, dude, and it was. I mean, it was on. Like yeah. it was, it was on, on. It was on. Like we we were hunting in high school. I don't know every weekend, every every Wednesday in our area. Yeah, yeah. So we're what is the best that we sixteen, 16 seventeen? Yeah. Best so, we had experience. I mean, it, it was. I mean, we had just. Freaking huge groups just and this dive is your fifth us. year anniversary. No, no, no. On no, this no. day? I thought, no. No, our wedding anniversary was uh, a few few days ago. Oh, yeah, I got He you. just celebrated his. I got so I'm saying it's just long enough. I, got, I can I got, tell the story to I the public. You, I got now. You, I got you. And plus, she doesn't listen. So. <laughs> this is like 10 years ago. Yeah, this is, yeah we were in high school. We were like 16. So mm-hmm. anyway, it's, it's, you know, it's crazy. We're killing ducks and we don't have a limit yet, but it's like, you know. It only we had to leave early because I told mm-hmm. Hunter, "It's like, dude, me and June, like she, she, I got a yes, date. like I got a date, dude. She a said, lunch. She date. said we can go eat lunch. Like I'm pumped, you know. Finally, she's yeah. we're going out to eat, and uh, so Hunter's like, all right, you know, whatever. We were picking <laughs> up decoys and ducks. We're trying to come yeah, in. Like, like we're like yeah. worse. Yeah, we're like picking up, and Hunter's like, dude, I hate you. She's got just like, this <laughs> <laughs> freaking feet down, like all uh. there. So we get back to the hill load up and my wife is from Quincy which is mm-hmm. you know a little bit it's probably 30 minutes west of Tallahassee yeah and uh so I'm heading over there and I had texted her I think like before I left town like or left Tallahassee mm-hmm. and I said hey what's up you know I'm on the way where do you want to eat and she didn't respond I was like oh no there's something <laughs> something's fishy here you know <laughs> I knew then like right when I left I knew something was fishy and uh so I get there and I call her she doesn't answer and I get a text that says, and I'm already in Quincy, get a text that says, hey, I don't really feel that good. Sorry, I can't make it. Oh. <laughs> Here's the important part of the story. The, the most important part. <laughs> you can say it too. I don't know. This is my most important part is that she swears that never happened. No, the most important part to me was that Josh told me that he got stood up after they were married five years oh later. yeah that's true I, so I like kept this whole time i thought he I went on a date so, so to find out you're like how'd yeah. the date go man yeah oh, no man. i didn't ask that <laughs> i didn't i just i went home and was like you know just kind of yeah. i married my high school sweetheart dude so i'm sure i went and hung out with hannah or whatever but <laughs> it was really funny because like i found out like five years later it's like remember that day that was it was it was a particularly good day you know yeah and it was like yeah she didn't even show up and then she she denies that it happened yeah she she swears that never happened what? she does not remember it hmm. but it is fun like growing up with your spouse like yeah. you know there's a lot of opinions about you know with fishing in the outdoors and you know people just opinions in general about getting married young but i look at it i don't regret it at all i mean and i'm different today than i was yesterday and i'll be different you know years down the road but it's been really fun to something that like our senior pastor often says is you know he says a lot of people look at marriage as a capstone it's like once you do all these things you want to do then you take it and you just kind of place it on top Mm -hmm. he's like but you know, when we, when we look at like the scriptures, we see that like marriage is actually a cornerstone. It's something that you can build a life on. And even like hearing about the way that your family is involved in your business, like your mother-in-law, your, your wife bringing you ideas, like obviously yeah. she cares, you know, it is kind of neat just to sit down and say, you know, man, like it's, we've come a long way together yeah. since Sam's club of, Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, they're the ones that know you the best. Yeah. So. All right. I got two more questions. I like the magic wand question. So if you had a magic wand, what would you do? If I had a magic wand. One wh- one little. In the fishing industry shoo, or. Anywhere. Anywhere. Shoo, 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 if I had wand. a magic wand. God. Um, I, would, uh, I would place myself on the coast of Africa where the 300 pound tarpons live. That's what I would do. That seems real. That seems let's like just, it could let's happen. Let's just go. Well, you mean, don't need a magic wand for that. <laughs> <laughs> airplane that. ride. I'm locked in. Whatever. <laughs> yeah. We're going to do a YouTube video of us all going to Africa to catch the 300-pound tarpon. <laughs> okay, second question. Uh, where's the best boudin in Louisiana? Oh, God. Um, I'm not a big boudin 
Damn, oh my! But, I mean, okay, never mind. You don't have to answer. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's so many. You know, it's everywhere. What's your favorite restaurant in your hometown? Favorite restaurant? Um, I Shout would, out time. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, I'm a big sushi eater, so I, I like rock and sake sushi. Um, Are you on their pro staff? I, no, I mean, I wish I was. He's not good enough. That's the next thing. I eat sushi like four or five times a week. Oh, I love it's, sushi. Yeah, it's awesome. All right, so. With, with kind of the conversation in mind as we're bouncing around rapid fire questions to you with building your business, what does success look like in the end? Um, success in the end is, uh, continuing to grow the business, um, not have to be on the water 300 days a year, but still growing the business, um, and being able to spend more time with my family. Mm -hmm. Um, that, that is, that is the end goal. Um, doing other things with the business that will help support the business financially, whether it be lodging or, um, more travel stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, that, uh, that, that's what the end goal for me looks like. Yeah. You're already traveling. Just travel guide in Africa, dude. Well, like more like group trips, you (laughs) know, host a trip, stuff like that. That'd be kind of cool to, you know, get some guys that I fish with and, you know, be able to go, uh, fish different locations with them and yeah. Watch out for those great white sharks over there. Right. (laughs) Hammer, I don't. I don't want to. I don't want to say. Heads ain't nothing compared to that bad boy. <laughs> I don't want to say any names, but we do have some uh, guests upcoming that are dabbling in the lodging and the full experience as yeah. guides, and yeah. uh, that's something I'm particularly interested in because it kind of yeah. seems like a no brainer. You yeah, know, yeah. Because you're referring clients to these different, yeah. whether they're rentals or yep. whatever. Keep them. Keep them in the house. What is something that you're good at or you really enjoy that most people probably don't know? Um, I love to play golf. Okay. Yeah, I'm a big golfer and uh, a big upland bird hunter whenever I have the opportunity. To oh, do. wow. Yeah. Okay. That's what I like to do. I got a little German short hair, three-year-old that uh, she's pretty good. Nice. Pretty good, man. With with golf, do you golf around here some at like St. Uh, James? Yeah, I go stuff? to St. James as much as I can. Okay. I mean, if I get like a, you know, this afternoon actually would have been perfect with all that wind that picked up. Um, but, uh, yeah, I try and golf as much as I can. Awesome. Well, thanks for being on the podcast. You have any more rapid fire questions? I'm good, man. You got any final closing thoughts? You just want um, this. Is, everyone's going to remember you for what you say right here. <laughs> this right is here? probably the most important moment. Oh my God. Why do you guys got to put your that life. on me, man? No pressure. Um, oh man, just, you know, enjoy your time on the water. You don't know when, uh, when your last day is going to mm. be, you know, uh, live it well and fish it well. Nice. There you go, man. And, uh, if, uh, people can, follow you where, where should they go uh website is louisianaflyfishing.com uh instagram flywater underscore expeditions awesome give and, it a look man and as always we'll Bingo. put that put that in the in the uh, description but thanks for coming on the podcast yeah, man. thanks Hang for having me us. appreciate absolutely it. enjoy yeah. some sushi cool cool we'll do hey guys thanks again for listening to the captain's collective i hope that you enjoyed we have a lot of great guests lined up so make sure to subscribe to the podcast and follow us on instagram and facebook to stay up to date and to see more behind the scenes action we appreciate your support this is the captain's collective Anglers search for the one they call king, but who will take his throne? Tune in to Waypoint TV's Battle for Silver, Saturday, May 18th from 12 to 6 p.m. Eastern. Presented by Abyss Battery, Waypoint TV.